Wasn't it nice to wake up this morning and to have seen the rain that has been falling the last few days and have that uh, wet um, newness about it? So lovely when uh, you get into April and there's this fresh, little slightly nippy feeling, but there's still life in the air and so good to wake up on a day like this and you realize that this is the day that the Lord has made and we rejoice in it and we're glad. As Andrew mentioned, the week leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus is remembered as Holy Week. And it is the week that changed history forever. Because of what Jesus went through, it changed history forever. You know, it did start with Jesus riding triumphantly into Jerusalem to the praises of the people. He was exalted as the King of Kings, who he is. But that rejoicing was short-lived. As Jesus began to tell his disciples that he was going to be handed over to the rulers of the day and that he would be crucified and killed, it was not an easy time. And uh, there was a sense of foreboding in the air. And Jesus and his disciples were about to experience a trial of, of intense magnitude. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We're going to read from verses 31 to 34 and then 39 to 46. Luke 22. So Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, spending time with them. And then towards the end of the meal, he turns to Simon and this is what he says. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. Let's skip to verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. As we ponder on this story today, let's see what we can learn on how to develop a faith that endures. Let's look at Peter and let's look at Jesus and let's learn from them. For they were living in difficult and uncertain times. And we are living 
in difficult and uncertain times. We are living in times of trial. But how can we as children of the living God learn to triumph even in difficult circumstances? So I have three points to share with you. And the first point is that trials will come our way. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And then a bit later he said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And this is exactly what happens. Before the rooster crowed, Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. He had been arrested. And Peter had denied him on three occasions. Peter faced three of the hardest trials in life. He faced fear. He faced guilt. And he faced disappointment. Let's look at the first one, fear. Peter had feared for his life. He had told Jesus that he was willing to go with him to prison and even to die with him. But then when he was faced with the very real possibility of those two things happening, his courage left him and he ended up denying the Lord. Self-preservation is a big thing. Most of us fear suffering. We don't want to experience loss of any kind. Somehow we want to live. And we want to live comfortably. We want to avoid pain and hardship. We can't really fault Peter. He had faced the ultimate test. He had feared for his life. In a very real sense, if Peter had acknowledged Jesus in that moment, there's a very good chance that he would have been arrested and quite possibly crucified with Jesus. After all, it was Peter who had drawn his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. He had faced fear. Another trial that Peter faced was guilt. The Bible tells us that after the rooster crowed, Jesus looked straight at Peter, looked him straight in the eyes. Can you imagine that piercing stare? He looked straight at Peter, straight at him. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said about him denying him. And then we read how Peter left that place. He went outside, and it says this. It says, he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Guilt is a terrible thing. Guilt can cause us to suffer physically, suffer emotionally. We can suffer spiritually. Somehow when we're facing guilt, we, we, if we've done something wrong or We've sinned in some way and we've got some regret or shame. You know, we can, we can feel a bit disconnected from the Lord. I would imagine that Peter was tormented with guilt. But there's another trial that Peter faces and another sifting that is not as obvious as fear and guilt. But it's just as devastating. It's just as destructive. And this trial is called disappointment. Peter had followed Jesus ever since he was called to leave his fishing nets and become a fisher of men. He was chosen as one of the 12 disciples to follow the Lord and to help him. And Peter was one of the innermost three. There were three disciples that were the closest to Jesus. They walked with him. They were with him wherever he went. And Peter was one of those innermost three. You know, Peter 
had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. He was with him when he ministered. He had seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. He had seen people delivered from demons. He had seen people healed of all kinds of sicknesses. He had heard Jesus preach on the kingdom of God. He was there with the Sermon on the Mount. He had heard Jesus preach about God's kingdom. He had received divine revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. Can you remember how it was Peter who had said, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And he had witnessed the transfiguration. Peter had witnessed the transfiguration. So when Jesus was crucified for Peter, all hope was gone. He was facing great disappointments. And we see Peter afterwards, confused and disappointed, returning back to his old profession, going back to his fishing boat, going back to his fishing nets. Disappointment is a fiery test. It is difficult to hold on to our faith when something traumatic has happened to us or when we have hoped and prayed for something and it feels like our prayers haven't been answered. Let's look for a moment at one extra trial. It is the trial that Jesus faced in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was faced with the trial of fulfilling God's call on his life. You see, Jesus was sent to earth on a mission. He had a very difficult, God-ordained mandate to fulfill. He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Isaiah had prophesied, we heard it read earlier, that Jesus would be pierced and crushed for our sins, that he would be oppressed and afflicted and led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus knew this. He knew what awaited him, and it caused him great anguish, great anguish. His time had come, and he was about to be punished for the sins of the world. He was about to experience being forsaken by the Father in order to become a guilt offering for us. That's what he was going to go through. Yet Jesus triumphs over this trial. He triumphs. He could have called an army of angels to deliver him, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he entrusts himself to his Father's care, and he submits his will to his Father's will. You know, there's a lesson for us here about handling trials. So often, we pray for the Lord to rescue us from difficult situations. But what if God has given us a, spe a specific God-ordained mandate to fulfill? If He has called us to be salt and light, to shine His light right where we are. You see, God's call on our lives can sometimes be difficult. Sometimes we won't want His will to be done because we know that it will involve hardship or pain of some kind. You can just ask any missionary and they will tell you about some of the trials that they endure. As believers, we are viewed as soldiers in God's army. We are in a spiritual war. And sometimes the trials that we face will just be a result of us serving Him faithfully, doing what He has called us to do, to extend His kingdom. You know, Hebrews 11 contains a whole list of men and women 
who served God faithfully and who endured great trials for the sake of the King of Kings. They had a divine mandate and they fulfilled it despite the cost. So my first point was that trials will come our way. After all, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. My second point is about developing a faith that endures. Perhaps you are sitting here and you are facing one of the trials that I've just mentioned. Maybe you are experiencing fear. There's something in your life that you're anxious and afraid about. Or perhaps it's guilt. There's something that you've done that you regret and it's eating at you. Others here may be wrestling with disappointments. You've gone through something that you can't understand. You can't understand how that could have happened to you. And in some way, it has knocked your faith. And I'm sure that there are people here who are holding on to a very difficult God-ordained mandate. The Lord has called you to do something. You are serving Him right where you are, in your workplace, in your mission field. And yet it's very tough. The circumstances are difficult. How do we develop a faith that endures? Let's look at the same text of Scripture in Luke chapter 22 and find some encouragement from it. Firstly, we need to remember that Jesus is praying for us. In Luke 22 verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, that you will be able to strengthen your brothers. Romans 8 verse 34 reminds us that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is seated on the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for the saints. Let this sink in. Think about this. Jesus is busy praying for us right now. Jesus is praying for us. I don't know what trial you may be going through, but I do know that Jesus knows about it. And I do know that he is praying for you. It is interesting to note that Jesus didn't pray that Simon Peter wouldn't fall, that he wouldn't deny him. He didn't pray that. He didn't pray that. What he prayed is that Simon's faith would not fail and that he would turn back and strengthen his brothers. Have you realized that Jesus' prayer for Peter came to pass? It was answered. It's exactly what happened. His faith faltered, but it did not fail. He held on to his faith in the Lord. And when he turned back, he did help his brothers. He became a pillar in the early church. And he strengthened many people in their walk with the Lord. What do you think Jesus could be praying for you today? Could he be praying for your faith to not fail? For your faith to remain strong? Or maybe he is praying that in the midst of your trial, you will be able to love and help those around you. Or perhaps he is praying that you will be able to see your trial through an eternal perspective, through his eyes, and get new perspective. And that because of that new perspective, 
his peace and his joy and his hope will rise up in your life. John chapter 17 is a wonderful chapter in the Bible. It records the prayer that Jesus prayed for himself and for his disciples and then for all believers. That includes us. It's a lovely passage of scripture and I encourage you today, you may want to make a note when you get home today, just take John chapter 17, meditate on the prayer that Jesus prayed and you'll get a sense of his heart and what he prays for his people. Secondly, to develop a faith that endures, we need to know that Father God is our refuge, our hiding place. That in the midst of our trials, we can run to Him. This is what Jesus did. In His anguish, He called out to His Father. Father, He called out. In another one of the Gospels, it says, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. If you are willing, Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' disciples were asleep. But Jesus was not alone in his trial. His father was there. You know, in some way, Jesus role modeled to us what a relationship with our Heavenly Father should look like. Can you remember how eager he was in the morning's to rise usually before the sun had come up, to go to a quiet place just to spend time with his father, to listen to him, to speak to him, to receive guidance from him. And here again he role models to us our relationship with the father. In his deepest trial, he calls out, Abba, Father. He turns to his father. Sometimes in times of deep need, deep trial, just a one-word prayer is needed. All we have to do is go, Father, He knows what we're going through. We're completely safe in His love. Father, Father. I know for me, when I go through a difficult time, my favorite thing to do is to either get on my bed and just curl up in my bed or on the couch, and then I just turn my thoughts to the Father, and I'll often just do that. Abba, Father. Father, I know that he knows what's going on. I know that he'll help. I know that he will strengthen. Psalm 32 verse 7 says this. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You are my hiding place, Father. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Wasn't it lovely to sing Good, Good Father this morning? I realized that our church loves that song. It's almost like an anthem for Choose Life. And I think it's because we are reminded every time we sing it of God's character and of His incredible love for us. Because when we are mindful of the Father's love and when we are mindful and aware of the Father's presence, our faith grows. Our faith becomes strong. We don't need to fight spiritual battles alone. A third way to develop a faith that endures is to know that there are angels at God's command ready to minister and help us. Don't you love that little verse tucked away in the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Did you pick it up as I read it earlier? Luke 22 verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
How grateful Jesus must have been for that angel's help. Sometimes we forget that Jesus, although he was fully God, he was also fully man. And that he was going through an incredible trial, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Hebrews 1 verse 14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So if you are born again, if you love the Lord and you're inheriting salvation, the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to us. And in Hebrews 13 verse 2 we read, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. In Psalm 34 verse 7 David writes, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. There's a lot of turmoil in our world. And there's a lot of turmoil in our country at the moment. And many people are experiencing great turmoil in their lives. Just the other day in one of our pastor's prayer meetings, we were talking about the very difficult work environments that some of our members are living in. But our Heavenly Father is sovereign. He is in control. And Jesus is spoken of as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of angel armies. We are on the winning side. Can you remember the story of Elisha and his servant in 2 Kings chapter 6? The king of Aram had sent a whole army out to capture one man, and that man was the prophet Elisha. And uh, we read the following in that chapter. It says this, when the servants of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, God has given us so many gifts to help us stand firm in our faith. Jesus is praying for us. Our Heavenly Father is our hiding place. There are ministering angels. We have the Word of God and all the incredible promises in His Word. We have the very precious Holy Spirit abiding in us and helping and strengthening us. But I want to touch on one more way to develop a faith that endures from this specific text in Luke 22. And it is the instruction that Jesus gave His disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is the instruction to pray. In Luke 22, verse 39 to 40, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. In the Amplified Bible, it reads as follows, Pray continually that you may not fall into temptation. And in the Gospel of Mark, an extra word is added. Jesus says to his disciples, Watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. 
Jesus arose from prayer and went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Prayer, earnest, continual prayer, strengthens our faith. Pastor Philip worked in government for many years. And his last few years were filled with incredible trials. He told us the other day that what he would do was that he'd take a small little cross and he'd put it in his pocket. And on those days when it was really difficult, he would put his hand in his pocket. He would remind himself of his identity in Christ. And then he would pray. I think some of us might be in situations where we need to put a cross in our pocket. And we need that cross to remind us of our identity. And then we too need to pray. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8 to 9, we read, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of trials. When we face tests and trials and temptations, we too need to take heed of that instruction of Jesus to pray. Because spiritual battles require spiritual warfare. We need to address things in the spiritual realm first. And we do that through prayer. Most of us know the armor of God that is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. Some people put on the armor every day. But once you put on the armor, we can't just sit there in a defensive mode. There are two things towards the end of chapter 6, two weapons that we need to pick up. And the one is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. And the other one is prayer. In Ephesians 6 verse 18 it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, and with all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all of the saints. So does the Bible have some guidelines for us on what we can pray in our trials? Yes, it does. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, found in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, it's as relevant for us today as it was for them. But we need to learn to really pray the Lord's Prayer. Not just say it. We need to pray it. You know, we can pray for his kingdom to come. We can pray for His kingdom rule in our personal lives, in our workplaces, in our families, in our, king, in our country, for His kingdom to rule wherever we go. We can pray for His will to be done. See, God's plans are good, especially when we look at things with an eternal perspective. We realize His plans are always good. And we can say, Lord, may Your will be done. I don't know what you're doing here, Lord, but I know that Your plan is good. May Your will be done. We can pray for provision. We can say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We can pray for restored relationships. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And we can pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. We can pray that. So my first point was that trials will come our way. And my second point was that we need to develop a faith that endures. My final point is a brief one, and it is this. Never waste a trial. Never waste a trial. P. 
Peter went through a devastating trial, but he developed a very strong faith and a very, very personal, very intimate relationship with the Lord. After that, he ministered with great courage and with great power, but he also ministered with a great humility. His trial had produced precious fruit. I want you to think for a moment of a trial that you are going through. Or perhaps it's a trial that you went through in the past that really shook you. Can you think about that trial now? And if you like, you may want to close your eyes as I read uh, four brief scriptures over you. And you can just allow the Word of God to minister to you right into that place. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. James 1, verse 22 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 1 Peter 1 verse 67. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Family and friends, let's never waste a trial. Let's allow our trials to draw us closer to the Father. Let's allow our trials to strengthen our faith. And let's allow our trials to give us a compassion for others and to help them in their time of need. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for your presence in our lives, for your care for us, for the way you watch over us. Lord, you said that we will experience trials and trouble on this earth, but that you would be there to help us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are praying for us. So great to know that you're praying for us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that there are angel armies doing battle in the spiritual realm around us, protecting us in ways we don't even know, helping us in ways we don't even know. And thank you, Father, for the invitation to pray. Your word says that the eyes of, your, the, eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and your ears are attentive to their prayers. Thank you, Lord, that we can pray about all things, and we can believe, Lord, in faith that you will hear our prayers and answer us as we call. We commit ourselves into your care, Lord, this week, Pray that we will triumph over our trials, that we will be strengthened, and that we will bring great honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name.